This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave here, by golly. And Mickey Malaito, I see him a little bit dark. There you go. That should be a little bit better. And, uh, you know, so many wheels to spin and all that stuff here in the production studio at the uh, Windy Hill Farm uh, Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melvin Law Studio. Melvin Law has a lot of studios all over the place. He's one of the great community supporters of shows like this. And we appreciate uh, Jeffrey Melvin's support. 50 years of experience, of course, a full legal uh, service law firm and protected by our good friends at Crime Prevention cpss.net. Check them out. Crime Prevention 24-7, 365. And check out the mugshot. See if you know anybody there because uh, you never know this these day and time what's going on out there in the society. Seems like every day we're reading a lot of uh, somebody who slipped through the uh, checks and everybody knew. That's the odd thing about all this is everybody knew about these people before they did their ultimate act of recognition. In my interpretation, it's all about them rec- getting recognition. And using other people to do it. That's the bad thing about it. But, you know, today is always a great Wednesday because we are joined by Ted Yoho. Ted Yoho, eight years of experience as uh, our representative here to the United States Congress. And um, as you know, he term limited himself, much to the regret of those who really wish he could hang around there. But, you know, you can only stake so much of that place, I guess, uh, unless you're calloused and hardened and making money and profiting perfectly, personally from the federal government, I guess. As, uh, as we know, so many of them do. Uh, you know, you stay in one place long enough, you get to know a lot of people, not a lot of people. And when you make the rules, you get to, uh, you know, kind of interpret the rules to your favor. I have experienced that anyway in my participation in municipal government. So Ted is back ho- at home and uh, uh, on the St. John's River and uh, has, uh, has all the effects of the hurricane subsided there, Ted? Pretty much. I mean, the water is just a little bit over the bulkhead in my backyard, but for all practical purposes, everything's pretty much back to normal. Looks good. Well, we were talking, Ted and I, about a problem that we've I've known about for quite a while, and we're going to probably talk it up again since we just talked about water, and water is kind of an interesting term. You know, the interpretation of language, having been a professor of language, is something I could never impress upon my students enough. You guys need to understand how to use words because if you don't, they'll use you or somebody who can use them better than you can will use them on you. And one of the great misuses of language has been the interpretation of water. And we in the agrarian society and the rural society understand this because I want to cover this as kind of a theme, if you will, um, uh, Ted, because we can expand this into the foolishness going on now with reparations uh, uh, internationally by the U.N., to get us to pay for our success and all that business. We'll get into that. But one of the most dangerous misuses of language right now is has to do with what old fashioned term would be nature. And now it's become the environment. And then once it's become the environment, 
there becomes this idea that you can regulate your relationship with it and somehow, therefore, impact nature. Uh, what a real folly that is. And one of the ways in which this hurts the rural people is with the interpretation of water. And we were talking about an example where navigable water, which is regulated by the United States federal government, which would be the Mississippi River, has now interpreted to be just about any stream that flows into some place that flows into some place that flows into some place that eventually flows into some place. And Ted, I got a local story about this to uh, support what we want to hear you talk about um, the frustration and futility of the situation we're talking about in Idaho. When I was chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory Committee, I've told this story before, but I always assume that people, the students have either forgotten it or love it so much you'd want to hear it again. Um, I got, I received a call from an old farmer uh, who understood that I was in charge of this committee and I advised the county commission, very frustrated and put out by the fact that he had uh, um, been a farmer in this area forever, had, I don't think, I think 160 acres or so, and was just minding his own business, doing his own thing. And he had a shed on part of that farm that he wanted to move. And so he did the right thing. He uh, uh, applied for a permit, Ted. And when he applied, huh? There you go. And there when you fall, huh? <clears throat> Those are the things you just do and ask forgiveness. That's right. So he applied for a permit, and lo and behold, you know what happened? The Environmental mm -hmm. Protection Agency of Alachua County showed up. And while they were there, they, Ted, this is it. They said, oh, my God, you have a dry creek bed over there. Oh, no. <laughs> you have a dry creek bed. And the old man said, well, what are you talking about? There's never water in that. I've been on this property for families, you know, this and that. Oh, no, 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 there could be. <laughs> we can't have cattle standing in, in water. That, you know, and so they told that gentleman he did not get the permit until he fenced off 20 acres of his land right. Ted, right. to keep the cattle who never stood there in water out of the dry creek bed, which could have water. And frustrated, I, was, I couldn't do anything about it, Ted. I, I could only say, here we go. So let's trace the Idaho story, too, which you, the important thing about what you were telling me is it's back again before the Supreme Court. Right. You know, it, it's WOTUS is the name of the bill, the Waters of the United States, and it's where the federal government 18 years ago decided it was a good idea to regulate standing water on property. And so they came up with all these rules and regulations, and it basically said any, bot, any parcel of land, dry riverbeds, dry streams, a pond on your property, if it holds water or water can accumulate on it, it falls under the jurisdiction of the United States of uh, America. And this couple in Idaho bought this property. They're going to build on it. It kind of went down to a, a, the wetlands. Of course, you're not going to build in a wetland uh, anymore. And so they started the construction. EPA and the natural resources came out there, shut them down. And they wound up taking that case to the Supreme Court. Well, I, I was in Congress for eight years. We voted on this bill to make it permanent. I bet you we uh, half a dozen times. And every time you vote on it, you think it's it's done. But the next Congress, you come back and it's there again. And it's like, that's the problem with Washington. They never fix a problem. They just keep churning. And it's like having a, a car and you go through the mud and the mud stays in your treads. You can't get rid of it. And so 
with WOTUS, and it really grabbed a lot of more power under the Obama administration. And now the Biden administration is doing the same thing. And it pretty much says you have no control over your land. And I lived in Archer, which is pretty much just a sand dune. And, uh, you know, it's prone to sinkholes. And you know how we get those torrential rains in Florida. There would be days when we had those big rainstorms, I would have three to four inches of water on my lot. And we're, I'm miles away from any water. But if the EPA saw that, they would say uh, this falls under the federal jurisdiction of waters of the United States. And so they could regulate what you can and can't do on that. And it's just an overreach of the federal government. And, you know, if you're going to regulate it, put in the rules and regulations and leave it alone so that there's stability in, in the um, uh, just in, I guess, in the environment or in, in the economy. So people know what they can and can't do. And that story you told about your friend, that's exactly what they'll do. Now, here he's farming cattle all of his life. It's never been an issue. Yet they give permits for septic tanks that drain into the aquifer. And I live over here in Putnam County, and you can go over to Yankee Town, um, and there's septic tanks right on the river. But they're going to worry about a dried creek bed on a farmer in Alachua County or another county. And there's just no rhyme or reason of what they're doing. And you get these agencies, they got a badge, and they've got power, and they're going to exercise it. Well, now we have a story I'd like to segue into that I'm sure you're aware of. And that is, let me just pull this out here. It's all over the news uh, agencies, media that, you know, kind of trustworthy ones I look at. Um, this uh, special envoy for climate change. Oh, man. Oh, my golly. Do I need to get you started? I already did it. Um, first of all, let me, for the audience here, cut to the meat of this. Um, basically, developing nations are going to be asking for reparations money for damage they claim was caused by climate change, which was caused by uh, those nations already developed in the industrial process. And guess who is the principal villain of that would be the United States of America. Let me, can I, can I cut in here? Yeah, sure enough. All right. I want, I want your listeners to understand what is going on, what the United States is getting ready to enter in. And these developing nations that are going to benefit from this have never asked for this. They've never complained about this, but it's, it's like the democratic party in this country, they go out and create victims. So now that they can help the victims, and say, see, we're on your side, that other side's not helping you. So now the United States in this administration that has developed over the last 15, 20 years is going out there finding they don't have enough victims here in the United States. So they're going around the world saying, you know what, you're a victim of climate change. And I, yeah, you've traveled enough. There's so many people, they don't understand climate change. They think it's seasons. And so I just wanted to throw out there that your listeners I hope they get angry about this, and I hope they let their, their representatives know, write letters to the senators, and do editorials and say, this is ridiculous, and go ahead, because you're going to bring up the person, the, the country that is not participating. <laughs> well, the Washington Examiner has cited Pakistan as one of the biggest proponents of this new climate reparations fund, and they have claimed, uh, according to the Examiner, that recent flooding in Pakistan is a result of climate change, which is uh, uh, 
they argue, all despite their low, quote unquote, carbon footprint. But here's what really has happened in Pakistan, according to the Examiner article. Uh, Pakistan encouraged a policy of extreme deforestation uh, to the point that only 5% of the nation's land is now covered by forests. And the government is also, the Pakistani government, has also allowed farmers to cultivate floodplains that would have mitigated intense rains. Um, so their own national policies have nothing to do with the United States uh, being guilty for what? Uh, being successful and creating, therefore, a climate that was, get, get, get this, beneficial to the United States, but detrimental to Pakistan. I mean, that's the logic. And what this does, Ted, as you and I both know, and I agree with the Examiner article here, the best way to make sure that everyone in the world is as wealthy as possible is to encourage them to adapt to their own national needs. Don't deforest your land and create this, you know, it's, you know, but nothing is seemed to be stopping this madness, Ted. No, I mean, you got the United States, you got the EU, you got Canada with all those, those extreme liberals. Uh, and then you throw John Kerry in the mix. And in that article, John Kerry said, there's no way the United States is going to support this. And then as he always does, you know, he voted for something before he voted against it, or he voted against it before he voted for it. <clears throat> he was against that, said, we're not going to do it. And then he bowed faces and now we're supporting it. And again, what you brought up about Pakistan and their policies where they deforested, we're seeing that in South America. We're seeing that with the drug cartels all over South America. Uh, China's doing that throughout Africa. The African nations are doing it. And then they want to run to us and they'll get the, the, the listening ear of this administration and the wokeness in this administration saying, oh, you guys are big polluters. And so the developing countries are put at a disadvantage. They're victims because of your success. And it is so ludicrous, but it's going to wind up costing the American taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars. And this is another, another tab that we've got to pay that this administration is putting us in there. And this is why I like Donald Trump, uh, because he took us out of the Paris Climate Accord. He took us out of the JCPOA. He did not burden this nation with those bills that they were going to pay <laughs> and we can fix this stuff other ways instead of putting us into those things. And um, can the Congress it's, it's, it's now lunacy. Is, it's lunacy? Can the can the can, can the House now that it's got a little bit of a slim sliver of, of, of uh, advantage? Can it influence uh, this at all? They can pull funding from it, but in that article in the Examiner, they said, "Well, if the House cuts funding, we could take funding out of somewhere else." And that's the shell game up there. And they know the, the bureaucracy that stays up there, uh, that never leaves, you know, the, the committee staff, they know where they can get money and they know how they can take it out. It's kind of like when they cut funding for the wall under President Trump, Trump took it out of the military budget and, you know, it wasn't going to stop him. And so there's a bunch of little tricks they can do like that. But the idea that we're here in America and we're affecting climate change in Africa, in these developing countries. And I've been over there. And if you look at their farming practices, they did exactly what you did. They deforested. And then they start cultivating on the side of a hill with no, um, with not, without putting tier systems in or without, you know, planting in different areas. 
and they just plant year after year after year, you get all this erosion. And it's like you said, you create a dust bowl. When you create a dust bowl, you're going to have dry drought conditions or torrential floods when they do come. It washes everything away. And it's, it's just the American government under Biden is putting us in another, um, another agreement that's not going to change anything in sub-Saharan Africa or any other country, but it's going to put a debt on our children's and grandchildren's and generations to come. And it's not going to fix the problem. Talk about the country that doesn't have to participate or choose not to. Well, and this is all being engineered, as I understand it, by the United Nations, some sort of global fund. Is that correct? Yeah, the United Nations, which we need to pull out of the United Nations. And I've advocated that. Take the Well, I say we should pull the United Nations out of the United States and put it in Rwanda, put it in a country that they need the United Nations. We pull out of it. We give over 50% of the funding for that. And um, we can be advisors to them for free. I, I don't think we need to have them meddling in our country at all. Get them out of here. Do we have anybody in the Republican Party, as a question come in on the chat line here, that actually supports this idea that you know of? In the Republican Party? Yeah. Um, Are there any rhinos, I guess, is what this question is coming from? Oh, yeah. From there'll, be sev- there'll be several of them on there. You know, um, well, French, well, I don't want to name any names, but yeah, there'll be people on there. Sure. Um, and they think this is a good thing. Uh, uh, it's just, it's lunacy. And, you know, go ahead and talk about the country that's not going to be in there. Do you want me to talk about it? Yeah. What country is going to be not going to be in there? China. <laughs> exactly. China. Yeah. China is the largest polluter in the world as far as CO2. They're putting up a coal-fired power plant, and they're not clean coal power fire plants. They're dirty ones. They're doing one a week around the world, not just in China. And then India falls second to that. And so these two countries are creating more CO2. Make, just China alone creates more CO2 emissions than the United States, all of the EU, and all of Canada, but yet we're going to pay for this, and China doesn't have to pay for it because now get this: they are they claim developing nation status, so that <laughs> exempts them. And we had a bill we tried to get through, and you, you would be amazed at how many people in the Republican Party fought against us. We said we didn't want to come right out after China, so we put in language that said. If you have an economy that is, you know, so high, and so they were the second highest economy in the world, if you have a space program, if you have a blue water navy, we put all this stuff in there. If you're manufacturing X amount of things, you don't qualify for blue uh, for a developing nation status. And what, if they're developing nation status, they can go to the uh, International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and get these low interest loans that we fund that they use to build stuff against us. And so it's just lunacy. We should pull out of that. And um, again, when you get into these world organizations, they're all for themselves and how much money they can spend of ours for their benefit, not to solve the problem. And it's just crazy that China they're building their own space station, and they're not going to share science with us. Um, 
<laughs> it's just crazy. And for the United States and Biden and this administration, John Kerry, who flies around in his private jet all the time, uh, mm-hmm. saying that, oh, these poor people, they've been victimized. Again, the Democrats, they've been victimized because of our success. No, they haven't. They've been victimized because of the corruption in their countries and their leaders being corrupt. And it's like in uh, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, President Kabila and his sister are billionaires because all the foreign aid that comes in, it goes to them. And um, we just need to pull out of that. I mean, we just need to say no and set the example. We all need to let our representatives know and, I don't want to hear rhetoric. Well, we're working on it. We're fighting on that. I want it done. I don't want them working on it. It needs to be done, like the border. Well, the border is just a good example because I hear their representative is going down. We took your place is going down yet one more time to the border. Again? Again to the border, but nothing. It's just a trip. I I don't know if anything ever changes. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's a photo op and, you know, I went down there one time, didn't really want to go because I could see it on the TV. And I went down there and I talked to the people. Um, It was interesting because I was in the same uh, detention area that AOC was the week before where she was yelling at those people, the Border (laughs) Patrol people, cussing them out, telling them these people drinking out of the toilets. And (laughs) I mean, it's so ridiculous what she was saying because I'm like, no, the there, there is drinking fountain right there by the toilet, but they're not drinking out of the toilet. <laughs> um, I don't know why I so laugh. For, for your representative, well, she's still my representative, to go down to the border another time. She is on Homeland Security. We know what the problem is. We are not enforcing the laws on the book. And it's a dereliction of duty of this government. And, you know, I, I woke up last night about four o'clock and this was on my mind. What can we do? We the people. We can sit there, bitch, moan, and complain about it. I don't know if that's a word I can use on the radio. Yeah, you can use that one. Yeah, you just can't beep. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> we sit there and we talk about this. We're going to have another delegation go down there and spend probably over $100,000 in travel and security and all that other stuff in hotel rooms and meals. And they're going to come back with no new information. I want the thing fixed. The American people want it fixed. So what can we, the people, do? And I'm like, what if we created a movement that says, we, the people, wall or something, the wall of we, the people, and we go down there in mass all around the nation, not to do violence, but just to be a physical wall so you're not coming in our country and, and challenge this administration to secure the damn border. Because I'll guarantee you, they have their houses locked wherever they live. Their families are have their houses locked, and if an, if a stranger was in their house, they would be calling nine one one. We have strangers coming into our house, and um, it, it's again, it makes no sense. And I think we'll be up over twelve to fifteen million people here illegally. And if you go back to the Reagan years, I, I think they said there was four to five million people. And I think it was 1986, they gave amnesty to everybody. And, you know, when you get that many people in here illegally, what do you do? What else can you do? Um, And I hope our representatives will not support amnesty for anybody. The first thing that needs to happen is secure the border and use the immigration laws we have on, on hand right now that are not being enforced. 
and they ought to sue this administration. Maybe we, the people, can sue this administration for not following uh, uh, Article 2, Section 3, that the president shall faithfully execute the laws of the land. Well, you know, a good example of that right now, where the president is taking the laws of the land into his own hands, is um, the student loan forgiveness. Yeah, that's another one. Back again at the Supreme Court, and the way the press plays it, this is what's so frustrating about watching a an activity on conventional, what I call conventional media. All the storyline was for them was, well, it's back at the Supreme Court. They don't do any teaching behind the story. They don't say oh. where it shouldn't be in the first place because it's not in the, because the Constitution doesn't give Biden the power to do this. And have so the authority. That's the story. But the story doesn't get told in the conventional media. It's just that Biden's back. And what that does, if the Supreme Court, which it should, turn down Biden again, then the story will be about how anti-democratic the Supreme Court is. I'll assure you, that's the way it will play. Yeah, our racist, uh, you know, because they're going after minority students and, you know, first first, uh, uh, family being educated, first member of family. I was the first member of my family. I have five brothers that ever went to college and I paid my way. I did get a grant, a $2,000 grant. I didn't have to pay back. And I borrowed $8,000. And guess what? We paid it back. <laughs> you know, but I was the first one in my family to go there. And But they're going to spin this story. Well, the Republicans are going after a uh, first family member to go to college. Or they're going after a minority. Or they're going after a, a woman. And uh, no, it's nothing about that. It's you decide. Nobody has to go to college. You, that's a personal decision. And I hope you go for the benefit. And I think I shared this with you. One, one of my Democratic um, opponents in a race, we're at a debate, and he was saying how he went to college and uh, he changed his major eight times. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking, man, I was so damn broke. I couldn't change it one time. I had to stay focused on what I was going to do. Another uh, trick about language that I've read, another trick about language is to say I attended. They won't ever yeah. say whether they completed you know, that's right. They've been they've been known to say I attended. I'm well. Our how book- long did you attend? <laughs> you know, uh, what do you mean you attended? Did you walk across the campus or what? I've got a nephew that's in his 40s and he's still going to college. He's writing a thesis. So I think it's going to be the longest thesis in history, <clears throat> and it, it, he won't be employable when he gets out. So I I I, I think people, I, if you want to give college away free. Do it at the end of after they get a period, after they get their uh, degree and they do it on time and they do it with a certain grade point average. Um, that, that's something I might consider if there was legislation to support that, but it's not the role of the federal government. So, you know, in Florida, we've got the free tuition through the, the lottery. You've also got, you know, if you have good grades, you get to bright go. Bright futures. Bright futures. Yeah, yeah, bright futures. And college is free if you want it to be. But it, it's not a place where you go to grow up and find yourself. You know, go back and slap your parents. And <laughs> go out and get a job. Go out and get a job for a little bit. You're probably going to get off the air for this. <laughs> you know, we're talking with Ted Yoho here and uh, speaking our mind and uh, sharing it with you all. So if you have an issue, a question, uh, put it on the chat line here and I'll take a look at it and pass it along. We are um, talking now about I guess lunacy really is the best word to describe where we are now uh, with yeah. our current administration. And nothing seems to make any sense. And so you wonder why 
what's the stimuli or stimulus that provoked the decision maker to do that that way? Yeah, I don't know whether it's a proverbial squeaky wheel or I just don't know where it's come from. You know, when I was uh, teaching the research classes at the college, I invited into my course really one of the biggest minds I ever had in the class as a guest. He's uh, passed now. It was Dr. H.T. Odom, who started the environmental uh, engineering department at Florida. Huge mind, was able to think in big gulps of history and uh, international and Ted, I got to tell you, uh, we recorded all these shows in the television studio and somewhere I've got this show on tape, the old fashioned tape. But Dr. Odom was uh, determining as best he could when the uh, fossil fuel industrial society uh, would reach its peak in this hemisphere, not just this country, but this hemisphere, because we'd done all that pioneering in the 19th right. century and then developed it all. And so. We had you know, traded in our agrarian society for an industrial society. And, um, and then he said, hey, you realize that the same thing is going to now go on in the southern hemisphere. And he pointed out Brazil. They're going to get out and kill their Indians and, and, and cut down their forests. And, and I always could tell who the smartest student in class was who could come up with a question for him <laughs> because he had such big thoughts. There was a lady who was a little older in the class, and she said, Dr. Odom, if we are making mistakes in the Northern Hemisphere, and she was, we were speaking about the waste of energy as much as anything had gone on when there was so much of it, right. uh, and how cheap it was, can't we go down to the Southern Hemisphere and, let, and teach them how to avoid the mistakes we made? Now, Ted, I thought that was a darn good question. And sure. I thought the answer from Dr. Odom would be yes. You know what he said? He said, no, they're going to do their pioneering, too. What else would they do with population pressure? And it's just natural human instinct that they're going to go out and change their societies over. And man, that blew me away. I've never forgotten that. That's just the science of it. But here the politics of it, Ted, are that we can influence that somehow. We're not. In fact, we're having the worst. The opposite. We're going to lead the world down in standard of living, according to this calculation, while the rest of the world rises in standard of living, and we're going to subsidize it. Well, that's exactly what's going on. Um, you were saying you don't know what's behind this this mindset that we're in now. I would I would theorize that it's the people that got Obama in there. Obama was very articulate, very charismatic. And, you know, it goes back to the fundamentally changing of America. Um, they're five days away from it in that inaugurate five days before his inauguration said he was going to fundamentally change America. How much more fundamental change do you want? I don't want any more uh, because, as you just pointed out, the quality of life in America is going down. Our birth, our, our, our stand, um, uh, life expectancy has dropped first time in a long, I mean, probably in our history. It's gone backwards. Um, you look at the amount of um, the, our, our reading, math, and science scores have dropped precipitously in the last 15, 20 years. And the scores will come out after the pandemic, and it's going to go way down again. So it's a fundamental transformation of America. And this goes back to Clinton. He says we can no longer afford to be the world's lone superpower. That was in the 90s. Well, they made damn sure that we're not going to be the lone, world's lone superpower. And, um, you know, it's, 
you know, the thing you have to admire about Trump was it was an American first policy, but you can't be first by stepping on people. You've got to bring other people up and raise them. And, um, you know, the sad story is, is history is repeating itself. I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Seven Tipping Points That um, Saved the World, written by a colleague of mine, uh, Chris Stewart, and his brother, uh, Ted Stewart. And um, they're talking about all these great empires and how they got to a point, And then they just kind of collapsed and they tell why they collapsed. And America's right there. And we need to have the mindset that, all right, it's just like your professor said, if we, uh, that student asked him, well, if we know what happened, we did wrong, can't we teach these people? And I would think we could teach our people in this country, this is where we're heading if we don't get back to the basics. And um, I hope we can do that. But it's not going to be with this administration and this Congress with these people that are just, they talk the game, but they don't do the action. It's time for action. Tom and Ted Yoho, and we're going to take a break at the bottom of the hour. And when we get back, Ted, what I want to queue up here is to get your uh, kind of uh, 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 expertise on an article I've been looking at here that uh, talks about how the, the, new, the new leadership in in uh, the House now that we have. Um, sure. a majority, yeah, and we've got some names here I'm sure you recognize and kind of get you to kind of uh, talk about them as I come back. Jim Comer, Jim Jordan, people like this. Talking yeah. with Ted, we're talking with Ted Yoho on the Ward Scott Files here, uh, and uh, we are just before our Thanksgiving break. We will not be broadcasting tomorrow or Friday live. We'll be playing a best of, um, and uh, so you'll be able to enjoy your turkey wherever you are. And uh, we allow that Friday day off for travel, so a lot of people travel. So I'll get back and cover the travel conditions on the weather in just a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Be right back in just a moment. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. 
everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth. All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave giving the Ward's weather report here. And uh, thanks to Lewis Oil, who is one of our great supporters of this show, uh, who brings us really what we consider this to be a community forum or a classroom where we try to share what we can with you and uh, let you make your decisions. It is a, a participatory event here, and you go out and act according with the information uh, we hopefully give you in a way that you can trust. 59 degrees right here, uh, no precipitation for the last uh, 60 minutes here at um, the, the farm, but uh, we can anticipate rain throughout the Thanksgiving uh, next couple of days as I'm seeing this off several uh, weather uh, uh, websites that we have here. So plan accordingly. It looks like there's uh, going to be downpours that are going to keep drenching the state uh, in certain areas. It'll be heavier there well in other areas. Uh, there's also, if you're traveling, make, a, make, make preparations. There's supposed to be a gigantic giant, I say, Thanksgiving storm to bring a lot of more impacts to uh, even the southern United States. So and I think you've seen pictures of Buffalo where the snow is up to the rooftop of houses right. and it's actually crushing the rooftops of those houses. And uh, that's not a happy event. And health-wise, quite a number of people have health issues in those heavy uh, snow drifts when they get out and they think all of a sudden they can push a shovel and get the snow off. Pushing a shovel full of snow is really, really challenging. And um, it's not something anybody should be doing. Let the snow plow do it and all that. But you'll always hear about somebody went out to, to clear the snow and didn't quite handle that well uh, physically. So uh, we've got that going on. It is it is coming into winter. Uh, so depending upon where you're going, I would probably prepare for uh, the worst and hope for the best. Uh, we will welcome the rain, actually. Um, we've started, of course, hauling hay here. And uh, it's twice as expensive to, to the roll now as it was a year ago due to uh, rising diesel costs and fertilizer costs and uh, even the availability of land to either own or lease to grow the hay. And that is uh, being reduced every time somebody decides, ironically, that Florida is the best place to live and bails out of New York and comes down here and uh, crawls into a condo or some kind of place and takes up some more of our rural land. So. Uh, uh, that's that's our story, and we don't have to stick to it. It keeps coming along. So, uh, uh, you know, prepare for rain. That's basically where we are. But we're talking with Ted Yoho, and uh, we were talking about immigration. And he, uh, on the break, we made a good point that a lot of you may not know. Of course, Ted was a, a, a veterinarian, and, uh, you know, I'm around the, the world of animals and um, and, and, and want to be, by the way. I enjoy being You are an animal. 
Huh? I am one. You are an animal. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, warthog. So uh, uh, Ted was talking about how we let people into this country without any medical screening whatsoever. Yet uh, you can't take a goat across the county line. Right. I want you to pick up that story, Ted. Well, yeah, you know, and when I was down at the one time I was down at the border, I was watching them do their health screen. And it was a very cursory. They'd look at them. They looked at their hair for lice, um, did a, a thermal scan on them, and that was pretty much it. And no blood work, none of that. And it's it's ludicrous of what our American farmers or people that want to show a goat at a county fair, they have to have a health certificate on that goat. Uh, a steer, you have to have a health certificate, has to be vaccinated. A horse to come into the country from a European country or South America has a battery of tests, and it'll take you two, three, you know, months to go through all that to have the proper paperwork to import a horse. And I brought this up in our uh, one of our discussions, either in agriculture or on uh, foreign affairs, and um, my um, colleagues on the other side of the aisle um, yelled at me and says, "Are you saying people are the same as animals?" <laughs> I said, no, not at all. But do we treat our animals better than we treat our people? You know, aren't we here to protect the American people? And, you know, I would think, you know, and I don't want to get into the litany of diseases that can come in that we have been pretty much immune, but polio, yeah, uh, uh, tuberculosis, antibiotic resistant tuberculosis, and the list goes on. And we're seeing an uptick in those things. And it's in those populations that come across that aren't being screened. And we're putting our, our own people at risk. And yet this government, if you if you come out against that, you're xenophobic. And I'm like, no, I'm uh, <laughs> I am strong for American protection. You know, let people come in the proper way. And it's just again, it goes to the lunacy of what we're seeing. And it's the the, the old adage or old saying: the 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 patients are in charge of the the asylum. Well, let's go over and see if we can do anything about that. I was talking with you about the break about the, the following uh, 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 items here. The Republican Party, according to, uh, sure. uh, the, is going to officially take control of the House now and come January. And they're going to have some new leadership roles. And it looks as if this will be, these will be the names I'm going to go through, will be the likely chairs. And maybe you can give us a, a conversation about the committee and the potential chair, uh, Jim Comer, House Oversight and Reform Committee, uh, what does that committee do? Uh, uh, it's got currently got, according to the article here, 25 Democrats, 20 Republicans. Uh, it's got a Democrat currently as a chairwoman. Right. Um, but Jim Conner, Republican of Kentucky, is um, projected to assume that position. Any comments about that uh, committee? Yeah, that committee does all the oversights. Um, you know, when Cliff Stearns was in there, my predecessor, he was the one that was on the oversight committee that investigated Solyndra a $500 million loan to a battery company that was never materialized. So that money was gone. They did all these hearings. Nothing happened. Benghazi was a uh, oversight committee. You know, we did all this investigation and we got the information. Nothing happened on that. Daryl Issa, you know, he was chairman of that. It's, it's good in name, but if they don't carry this through and follow through um, John Koskinen, I think that was an oversight with uh, Jim Jordan on that committee. And um, we had enough information to impeach him, but he never got impeached. So my beef with all these committees, if you're going to do the, the investigative work, 
follow through and put the penalty on these people or refer them to the Justice Department. And of course, the way this, uh, the politics are divided in Washington, they'll refer them and I, my bet would be nothing changes. And this is why it's so important that we get back to getting rid of these uh, voting laws that the Democrats have put in there. That's going to make it hard for any Republican to win on a national level. Uh, Jim Jordan's going to be the Department of uh, um, or the Judiciary Committee. He'll be the chairman of that. And when Jim was on the oversight, you know, uh, I just mentioned, you know, uh, we could have impeached John Koskinen or Bob Koskinen, whatever his name was, in the IRS. And he put in the impeachment resolution. But Paul Ryan says, if you pull that, we'll let you do more investigations on them. And I just think that's wrong. We already had the information to get rid of them, but we didn't. So Jim will be there. Who else? And James, I know James Cuomo real well. He used to be the uh, secretary of ag for uh, Kentucky. Will they do anything with Biden? As the questions come in here. Oh, they'll make a Hunter lot of Biden. Hunter Biden. Hunter? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll make noise. And and I, I've said this in so many of my meetings with the Freedom Caucus, don't bother doing the hearing if you're not going to follow through and give recommendations to the Department of Justice. And they, in this Congress, they'll say, well, it's, it's Merrick Garland. He's not going to pick it up. I would send it to him and I would you know, make a, a resolution or a bill to where they have to. And now you got the Democrats on record saying, we're not going to pursue this. And unfortunately, it'll take another two years to get the American people um, to put in the right people. The danger is if we spend all this time and the media is going to bash the Republicans and they're going to make a victim out of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And look at how mean they're being to this guy. And, um, and if the Republicans play this wrong, it'll be like Kevin McCarthy coming out against Hillary Clinton on the Benghazi. And they said, well, what good did the Benghazi hear, hearing do? And he says, are you kidding me? Look how much she's dropped down in the polls. We've, we've pretty much ruined her chances of being elected. So that was the narrative that the whole purpose of Benghazi was not to find the truth. It was to hurt Hillary Clinton. And I hope that Kevin McCarthy re- remembers that. Well, because certainly according to this, um, a lot of people, the FBI, DOJ, uh, well, we know that the FBI was uh, – less than uh, uh, stellar ethically, let's put it that way. That's probably a euphemism in there. The FBI is tainted and the American people have lost their confidence in in not just the FBI, but a lot of the branches of government they've lost their confidence in. What about Patrick Henry, uh, Henry, uh, financial services? What can be going on there? He's grown out. He's a hardcore rhino. Um, He is establishment as establishment can come. And uh, <laughs> so he's no better than Maxine Waters. Is that the ch- current chair? Oh, he'd be better than that, I would hope. Uh, uh, yeah. God forbid uh, Maxine Waters is the chair, but oh my golly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a crazy country we have. Uh, when you can go back to hear some of her old tapes, and she talks about nationalizing the petroleum companies, and we should do all this stuff, and she's just off base there. I mean. But with her political mindset, the government should control all that. And uh, Patrick McHenry, like I said, he's just he's going to go along and do what's politically correct for the Republican Party. Not and, you know, I think that overrides what's best for the American people and, or, or the direction of the country. 
sad to hear that because there's a lot goes on there that uh, really has. He's been waiting in line for his leadership position. So here he is. He's been the deputy whip for uh, forever. And he and I had a little confrontation. He told me I had to change my vote on a, a, one of those egregious spending bills. And he was doing the finger in the chest. <laughs> oh, he was, was he? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We, uh, he, we, had he ever, let's put it, let's cut to the chase. Had he ever been on horseback? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, he never did that again. <laughs> <laughs> had he ever been in the corral with the bull? I guess I, not. Uh, he's, been in, <laughs> he's been in a corral with bull bowl uh, discharge <laughs> <laughs> how about uh, michael turner i michael, like mike turner is he he's going to be on the committee on intelligence what's that about he is a good guy he is somebody that is very um the intelligence committee that's where adam schiff is the chairman now which oh my god mccarthy said he and swalwell will not be on that committee Rightly so, and I, I commend Kevin for saying that because uh, Mike Turner is one of those guys. It's no BS. He's a matter of fact, and he will he'll be like a Devin Nunes. Well, boy, if he can kick Schiff off of there, uh, I think Rush Limbaugh used to call him pencil neck or something like yeah. that. You know, the guy was just nothing but trouble. And that's uh, a liar. I mean, the whole ben yeah. the whole uh, Russia Gate thing that they all be should be in jail for that. So uh, this, uh, um, let's see, yeah, Schiff, and they've had, I guess Schiff's had control of that committee for quite a while. Then has he done Quite it? a while, sure has. He yeah. was there my last two years, and that was, I got out in 21, so since then. Is there any committee left out of our discussion here? Are these the main ones? That, uh, anything else that you? Well, you've got Ways and Means, and uh, that's going to be Vern Buchanan. Vern is a very wealthy businessman, became very wealthy early in life. I think he started uh, Speedy Printers or Mr. S Mr. Printer, and uh, he had sold that for hundreds of millions of dollars. He's a good guy. Mike McCall is kind of a well, – he's establishment, but he's very good at what he does. He'll be the chairman of the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee. I've got a great relationship with him. Um, G.T. Thompson out of Pennsylvania will be the chairman of the Ag Committee. Um, I forget who's going to be health – and human services or uh, HHS. And I don't know who's going to be um, uh, education um, and workforce. I forget who those are. And then you have transportation. Um, the people, I think French Hill will probably be the financial service. Well, it'll be either him or Patrick McHenry. French Hill would be the better one if, if he runs for that. Tom and Ted Yoho, who knows that of which he speaks, having been there for eight years. And I guess the question you and I have always had and we've exchanged with our audience is, um, will anything really be accomplished uh, with this slim margin? Uh, are there enough rhinos working? I'm sure there are in the Republican ranks that can undo anything kind of controversial resolve. Probably there are. How many rhinos would you say there are in the Republican House? Probably a third. Uh, really? Do now, do the Democrats have the same kind of issue with their rank and file? Yeah, I mean, they had the Blue Dogs, which was the conservative, true Democrats, like, uh, uh, oh, the guy up there in Panhandle, Alan uh, Boyd, Alan Boyd, 
Kurt Schrader was the last of them, but the squad ran all of those out. Um, and then you had the Congressional Black Caucus. Then you have the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which was the smaller faction. Now it's one of the largest in Congress, uh, the Democratic Party. And they're the Marxists. Uh, Socialists is too kind of a word for them. They're our Marxists. They despise this country. And um, it's interesting. I heard Elon Omar and AOC complaining about the death threats and all that. And they've got security. They've got security details. Marjorie Taylor Greene has had over 70-some death threats, 19 personal death threats. You know, so the 71 were over emails and things at the office. The 17 were right in her face. And she's asked for a security detail, and Nancy Pelosi won't give it to her. That's how skewed that is up there. That's how screwed up their mindset is. If you're going to do it for this member for security, you need to do it for this member. But they won't even give that to uh, uh, Neil Gorsuch. Um, no, it, it, to answer your question, do they have enough clout to do anything? It, that goes back to leadership. If leadership can paint a vision of where this Congress should go, and then he gets the buy-in from his members, and focus on five or six, seven things at the most, and then have the buy-in from the members, he can do something. But I don't see Kevin McCarthy doing that. And you'd asked before about the people that are going to challenge him. You know, if you look at the, the House vote that they had right after the elections when they had the freshmen up there, the incoming freshmen, 31 people voted for Andy Biggs. Five voted against Kevin McCarthy. So that's a total of 36 people. And uh, that's enough to go what we call to the second round of speakership votes because he doesn't have the 218 required. Now, if he goes to the Democrats and gets votes, it's going to weaken his hand um, in our conference, in the Republican conference. And Andy Biggs only announced a day or two before the election. Andy has enough time to mount an election because the real election will be January when the new members get sworn in and the new Congress gets sworn in. And the people that did not support Andy Biggs or somebody other than Kevin McCarthy, they've got a voting record. Their constituents need to say, call up their representatives and say, I do not want you to support Kevin McCarthy. Um, Andy Biggs has got a, a good plan. I've read it and I've talked to him. And uh, we're going to keep talking to him and just encouraging him to stand strong. Um, we're at a critical point in this country. We're, we can't continue the way we are. We haven't even gone into our debt discussions yet, but um, we're, we're in a tough shape. When you're spending more on your interests to service your debt than you are in your military, things are skewed. And when the, uh, China owns a lot of your debt, right? Our debt is owned, last I looked, was 25 to 30% was owned by foreign entities, and that was China and Japan. But China's smart. They've been peeling away from our debt and getting rid of it because uh, they see the imminent collapse. And I think I talked to you about last week how Saudi Arabia went to China and is selling their oil to China, and they're paying China in China's currency. And the danger of that is if other countries start doing that, you're going to see the American dollar, which is considered the world petrodollar and the world reserve currency. You're going to see that go away and everybody, and it'll happen overnight. I mean, people say, well, yep, we're going to switch to the Chinese currency and then our dollar will become worthless. Well, now, that's not uh, a good scenario. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't need my representative going to the border again. I need her working on this stuff. Uh, (laughs) Well, we've got a question about that. And uh, from a good uh, listener here, what would be the top four or five issues uh, that uh, uh, the constituents need to let the Republicans work on? I, I get asked that a lot. You know, what's the biggest problem with America? Number one is ignorance, ignorance of the voters. You know, they're just not informed like they should be. Number two is our debt. Number three is China. For the Congress to focus on, it should be border security. It should be a way to counter China without interfering in China's, I don't want to tell China how to live, but we should focus on uh, things that is going to make America stronger. Rare earth metals, we need to have a critical mineral um, policy in place because our military uses depends on so much of that as does our technology. So we should have that. We should have strong food security, which we're going backwards on because, again, fertilizers come out of Russia and China for the most part. Our animal feedstock, a lot of that comes out of the Asian countries. And those things are uh, loaded. Those countries have African swine fever. They have foot and mouth disease. And if that comes into our country, it ends. So those policies need to put put in place. We need to reform these programs. Um, Oh, shoot. There was one I meant to bring up. Uh, the border security is one thing. Education. Education needs to go back to the states as much as it can. Uh, I just spoke at a Moms for Liberty event last week, and they're pushing it back against the wokeism, the CRT, the transgenderism. And people, if your listeners ought to look under, uh, just Google Moms for Liberty and look at all the hate stuff going out after them, and they're attacking them like they're a white right-wing radical group. No, they're not. They're people that are concerned about their parents. So we should focus on that kind of education. And then wokeism in the military needs to go away. Uh, we're down 52% wow. are recruiting. Uh, and we need to do those things. And then the last thing would be energy security. Um, it's ridiculous that we have so many resources in this country. And I think the last thing I would say is get rid of the climate crisis committee and take the focus off of climate crisis, and let's put the focus on adaptation of what are we going to do for the next generation to make this a better, cleaner country. And I think we focus on those five things, and then you have to throw in there a strong foreign policy. You've got to have a strong foreign policy without meddling in another country's affairs, and then without uh, building democracies. That's not our role, and we should focus on honest, open trade with all nations. And I think if they focused on those for a season, that you would think, see things coming together. But uh, we've got to get our debt under control. You know, and listening to your well-spoken um, uh, itemization here, it occurs to me and some of the viewers here almost never hear that in the, in the media. No. Uh, nobody. There's nobody. No sound bites. Yeah, there's no sound, sound bite for that. No sound bite for that. You know, it's, it's, it's not shame. sexy, it's not flashy, but it's <laughs> it's going to be the thing that brings this country down. The uh, talk with Ted Yoho here, we got a few minutes left. Uh, just a minute or two is all we really have left, so we're probably out of time, Ted. But man, we've been covering some very important uh, items here in our discussion. Of course, go support us and follow us on Rumble.com. We uh, fired uh, YouTube for firing us and. Uh, supposedly they reinstate us in the month of December. We got to go on, move on. Uh, you can, of course, hear this program uh, on all kinds of audio platforms, podcasts, and Spotify, and uh, share it there. 
I share the program out to True Social, uh, fair, uh, share it over to a number of other uh, platforms. So we distribute it um, quite, quite broadly. And of course, it's running 24 7 uh, on our awardsgodfiles.com site. So you can always go back and pick it up there. And Ted, it's always great to hear from you and chat with you about things that are so important to us. And you and I kind of have a common heritage, it seems. You know, we are um, born out of the soil, if you way the way I look at it, kind of rural life and respect for it. And are, we're grounded in that. We, you know, the climate change stuff, I'm laughing internally. It went from save the planet to I don't know what all it was called, save the earth. And, I, you know, all these different things. And now we got climate change. I don't, I, I you know, it, it must be some advertiser's genius that put that thing together. It can't be anybody with any common sense. <laughs> I would recommend people listen to George Carlin's uh, thing on, on the climate. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe we'll hook up with you next Wednesday. Um, Ted's going to be in transit, and um, he gets a little time in the airport. We'll try to, to patch into him and, and continue our conversations on Wednesday. And thanks so much. Uh, have a great holiday, Ted, to you and yours. You and, too. Happy and, Thanksgiving uh, to everybody. And uh, thanks for tuning in, you all. And we appreciate you checking out the Ward Scott Files and sticking with us as we try to help you understand these issues we think are so important to the better quality of life here in our country. Take care. Happy holidays. Keep up the good work. Bye. Bye-bye.